You're listening to episode 54 of Widowcast with Joanne Philomena, the best-selling author of Widowed. This is a Joanne the Life Coach podcast production. Our podcast productions also include Weight Coach and This Is Us podcast. These are real stories and real experiences of widowhood, both my own and many other widows I've known and coached. Welcome back, listeners. So good to be back on the podcast with you this week. Last week's episode on Widowcast was about just when you think you'll never love again, never want to love again, and have no interest in anyone after your spouse passed, suddenly you feel your heart beginning to open and consider that companionship might be nice. For me, it was as I approached the two-year mark after Jim passed, there was a marked shift for me. I think part of it was the sudden acceptance and realization that I'm really no longer Jim's wife. I'm his widow. Doesn't mean I didn't love him, but it's an acceptance of being his widow and knowing he's truly gone. I alluded in last week's podcast to having connected with another coach who works with divorcees, widows, and widowers who are ready to find that special someone in their life again. So I'm really excited today to be able to share her here with all of you. Barbara Kenyon is a relationship coach who's had the experience of working with widows and widowers on re-entering the dating scene. Today, she's going to share some of her experience and knowledge with us about this. Welcome to Widowcast, Barbara. Thank you, Joanne. It's a delight to be here with you today. I'm so excited to have you here because we had talked before. We connected on the phone. It was so fascinating with what you shared, and I couldn't wait to share you with my listeners here. Now, keeping in mind, many of the listeners to Widowcast are not at that place yet. Um, we have many new widows listening to us, and in that first year, it was like the farthest thing from my mind, truly. And as I got into the second year even, Barbara, I thought, there'll never be anyone else. That's it. You know what I mean? Is that I know common? Oh, I know exactly what you mean. And having been a widow myself, I was absolutely in the place that you were. Um, maybe it would be helpful to share my story ever so briefly so that people can understand where I please, am coming from. Please do. That would be great. Okay. I had been married for nine years to my handsome, healthy, vibrant husband. And after nine years, our beautiful son, Jordan, was born. When Jordan was only two months old, my husband was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer, and he died eight weeks later. You can only imagine what that was like for my world. Um, I certainly didn't enter parenthood with the idea of going it alone, and, uh, and I was 35 years old at the time, and so I didn't have a peer group of friends, thank goodness, who were also widowed. Um, it was nothing that I would have chosen for my life, obviously, and it was a very, very dark time to lose my best friend and lover and father of my son and uh, raise my son alone. 
So I went through, I'm sure, all of the emotions that your listening audience went through. And, um, and, and dating was certainly not on my radar uh, for the first year and a half, perhaps, longer than that. And then uh, around the two-year mark, I felt just as you were describing, Joanne, I thought, you know what? I not only want to find somebody wonderful to love, I think I'm ready to do this, and I want a father for my child. And I wanted a daughter. I wanted more children. Yeah. So that was where my head was. And, uh, and ultimately, I, uh, at, when my son was five years old, I did remarry. And within that year of marriage, my beautiful daughter Meredith was born. So uh, uh, having gone through that horrific experience and coming out the other side, I, I learned what it took to be able to do that, make that transformation. And from there, I developed a career in working with widows and widowers, and I've been doing that ever since. And that was 33 years ago. That is so fantastic. And I can't imagine what you experienced as a young widow and having a brand new baby in your arms and losing your well, spouse. <laughs> it was it was a terrible experience. That's all I can say. I have nothing to compare yeah. it to because I, you know, I wasn't par a parent before then. So you know, right. it's just like anything else in life. You deal, you play the hand you're dealt, and that's what I did. Yeah, yeah, and did it beautifully, Barbara. <laughs> no, I don't know about that. Believe me, there were many no. hiccups along the way. And, oh, I'm and, sure. Uh, <laughs> and it still are you know parenting is a challenge in itself so oh it is it is yeah so how does a widow or widower know when they're ready I mean was it just like a, a click a shift in your head that you suddenly it, realized it that is a really good question Joanne and I think for every widow or widower it's it's there's a different answer but um I think sometimes you know as becoming a professional volunteer and working with widows for a very long time, which is what I did um, following widowhood. The definition of knowing when you're ready is when you can reflect on your life and think about your husband or your wife and remember the good and remember the bad and still be able to put a smile on your face. Yeah. And I, I, that's when you know you've made a satisfactory adjustment to widowhood. Does that happen quickly? Sometimes people, especially when they've suffered a, uh, a loss that was long in coming, for instance, an illness that took on many years before your spouse died, it becomes perhaps a little bit easier. In my case, you know, I didn't see this coming for sure. My husband, you know, was diagnosed and died eight, week, eight weeks later. So it certainly took longer. Um, I think you know when you can absolutely gain a greater perspective about it, be able to talk about your spouse, not cry anymore. Be able to laugh, actually. You know, we all have, I've met, I've worked with lots and lots of widows and widowers over the many years, and they say things like, oh, my husband was perfect. He never did anything that bugged me. And when I hear that, who are you married to? Yeah, I know. I know. And, you know, I think it's even more of a shift than that, because almost from the beginning, I, and Jim died quite suddenly. I mean, he fell to the floor here at home and was dead. Um, but I don't think I ever over romanticized it. I really held on to our relationship exactly as I knew it was because I wanted all of it. I wanted to remember when he could just annoy me to death. 
or the times that we were in the kitchen and, you know, would spat at each other. Um, and then he would always come back in and say, I know you're so sorry for being that way to me. Let me make you coffee. And I would laugh. I would make you, oh, sweet. You, you creep, you know. <laughs> but, yes. you know, I wanted to embrace it and remember it even with the thorns because there's always thorns in a relationship. Of course. So I never went into that romanticization, and I think I was able to pretty quickly try to shift myself into realizing I needed to cherish every day on this planet I have. So yeah. getting to that place of being able to remember the good and the bad in our relationship and being able to smile at life again, that happened for me within the first year, but I sure wasn't ready to think about relationship with someone else for a good long time after that. And what concerns me the most too is widows who feel right away that the only way they can fix the horrible emotional pain they're in is if their husband came back through the door again is their first thought, and their second thought is, I need to replace him right away so I stop hurting like this. Exactly. And, you know, I think that both of those scenarios that you describe are part of the process um, that some people go through. Um, I think that we all, if you had a good marriage, you always wish that your husband or wife is going to walk through that door. Right. Absolutely. That's such a normal response. And, you know, we have, there's, there's lots of documentation about people who had those experiences where they, you know, dreamt it or imagined it. And it was so real. I remember reading in your book about uh, when you smelled the, the um, shaving oh, lotion the or whatever spice. it was. Yeah. Old spice where you really smelled that. And, right. uh, you know, I've heard those kind of stories. I didn't actually have anything quite like right. that. But, um, yeah. And then the other part of it, what you say is about wanting to replace. And I think that, you know, people grieve the way they live. Mm -hmm. I'll say that again. People grieve the way they live. If you are a person that is very quick to make things better, then quite likely you may have that personality where I got to quickly replace this person. Yeah. Is it a healthy response? Not really, because it's really important to grieve the loss. I always say, if you don't deal with grief, grief will deal with you. Exactly. And, and, and so it's important to honor those steps and be able to go through that process, which is different for everybody. Right, right. And some of my yeah. concerns about that is I think for widows, the first year or two after they lose their spouse is a time when they really learn a lot about themselves. Oh, no and, question about that. Right. They're forced to learn a lot about themselves. They because, are. Yes, exactly. I hear those kind of stories all the time where I never knew how to balance a checkbook or I never knew how to change the evaporator pad in my furnace or, you know, these different things because they'd never handled right. those. Right. And I think it's once you are able to move through that, and yeah, it is like being pushed right into the fire a lot of times. And it's not just for the practical everyday things, like how do I take care and maintain the car, but it's who am I and how do I be alone with myself? And exactly. I think once you learn that and you grow into that, now you really have something to offer going into new relationship 
because you're not needy, you're not grabby, you're not trying to make them replace someone that they can never replace because whoever you find always has to be who they are. Um, I think then maybe you're ready to start thinking about companionship again. You make a really good point when you say that, Joanne. And I think I have a six-month process that I do with uh, with any dating client that I take on. And that is step number one, be able to become comfortable with who you are and honor that person. Um, you need to become your own best friend and your own cheerleader and champion yourself before you're ready for somebody else, ideally. Ideally, you need to be right. your best self first. Right. Yeah. And, then and that you're is going a to process. Then you're going to attract a really healthy relationship, right? Totally. Totally. Yeah. That's a, that's just an important first ingredient toward uh, shopping for Mr. or Ms. Wright. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That sounds just so foreign to me, Barbara. After, you know, shopping <laughs> for Mr. Wright. I don't even know if I am shopping for Mr. Wright. I'm shopping for Mr. Now and Then. <laughs> exactly. Or Mr. Right Now, as I heard somebody say. Oh, Mr. Yeah, right yeah. Now. It's yeah. A, well, it's a, definitely a process. And the other thing I do want to mention is that um, when I have done coaching with widows and widowers, a lot of times they will ask me things like, well, Barbara, how long is it going to take me to get back into the swing of things? And my response is always the same. When were you ever in the swing of things right. in the dating world? That's and they said, not really ever. I, you know, I may have dated a few people here and there, and then I met my spouse, and we were married for 40 years or, or whatever period of time. And the reality is that dating is never what you might call fun. People yeah. always have a lot of stress around that because, well, for the obvious reasons, you know, they're, they're feeling vulnerable. And, uh, you know, it's a challenge. So when and that and that really is one of the reasons that people, especially widows and widowers, are reluctant to go back into that arena because who wants to deal with that discomfort? Oh, yeah, and I was going to say, let's get into the fears surrounding this because I know there are all kinds of different fears at the very idea. I mean, I don't see me dating. I mean, maybe others would want to like get out there in a dating pool. For me, it's. I think I told you that if I was ever going to find companionship, he would almost have to like throw himself down on my doorstep because I don't get <laughs> out of the house much. He would just have to show up here, which is a terrible thing. But I suppose if I were feeling I wanted to more actively pursue finding companionship, I would need to start just getting out to some events and places. I don't know that I would want to do dating pool, but the fears are so many and you're so good at this because I know you've probably heard it all, Barbara. <laughs> I've heard a lot, I think. Um, it's, I just want to level the playing field on, with you on that, Joanne. As I said, everybody has fears around that. And I, in a perfect world, Mr. or Ms. Wright would show up at your door and make it really easy. And there it is. You don't have to look any further. And as I also said to you, the only people that show up at, at your door is a UPS guy, perhaps. And, and oftentimes he's married or he isn't your type. That's and right. So, <laughs> and that's the reality. So if you really want to meet somebody, um, you need to take that first step. And, uh, and it may be something as easy as networking with a friend and letting that person know, I would like to meet somebody really nice. Who do you know? And that in itself takes courage, but that's one of my favorite ways to help people meet somebody, to be able to become bold and, uh, and take that first step. And once you give language to that, be able to say out loud, I think I'm ready 
to meet somebody wonderful. And again, I, as I said before, I think that starts with being able to look in the mirror and say, I like you. I like you. And that, that's a process in itself. Right, right. And the fears, I think for so many widows, first is the fear that there's just nobody else out there for them. Oh, yeah. Nobody, well, several, several aspects of that. There's nobody that will compare to my husband. There's nobody that will, I'll speak about widows rather than widowers, but there's nobody that will like me the way my husband did. There's nobody that I would ever dare want to stand naked in front of, you know, body image issues are certainly huge around that. Or, or um, it's too much work, or I, I don't want to be rejected. There's many, there are many, many oh, yeah. fears fear of that accompany. Horrendous. Fear of rejection. And I think when, when we talked, I told you that if I were going to actually be with somebody, like be with somebody, it was going to have to be with all the lights off and on a moonless night. <laughs> I, you know, you no. are, it's funny that you say that. No. Do you want to know something? I just heard um, on the news today, they were interviewing somebody about body image. And this, they said that 91%, I don't know where they got that number, but 91% of the people on this planet do not like their body. They look in the mirror and they see something they really don't like. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, knowing that kind of, I, I, I tell my widowed people and my singles the same thing. You know, you're worried about your lumps and bumps and all that kind of stuff. Well, you know what? The guy that you're going to be dealing with probably has the same thing, you know, different right. shape of sorts, but something else too. So there's no body. No, you're not going to probably run into the person that thinks they've got a great body. Right. And, right. and, 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 and I'll just say, I'm going to add one more thing about that. Um, being an old married woman now myself, the men that, that you meet, are not guaranteed, take this, you can take this statement to the bank. The men that you meet are not gonna look at the, your body the way you are. They're gonna see something quite different and quite beautiful. And uh, I, mean, I show my husband my thighs because, you know, they're, and I say, look at this, look at this fat on my thighs. He says, where? I don't see it. He really doesn't. Right, right. Something not looking Jim, at that. Jim had always told me is he would just laugh at me and say, Joanne, men don't care. <laughs> He is 100% right. That is Men not what they're looking care. at. You worry about your lingerie. You worry about getting lotion on. You worry, He said, we quite frankly don't care. He was 100% right when he said that. But it takes, yeah. it takes a while for you to really uh, uh, take in that, that thought, especially when you're newly right. dating and you're so self-conscious. Oh, my gosh, yes. And in fact, as long as I bring that up, I will say one more thing. When I do dating coaching with my clients, I tell them, you know, their, their biggest fear is, oh, is he going to like me? Is he going to like me? Mm -hmm. Well, I say to them, don't worry about that. You decide, are you going to like him? Are right. you going to like him? You're in the driver's seat here. Yeah, yeah. And that's a shift in thinking for a lot of people. Now, here's a question for you, because... Um, when you are a widow and you're not actively putting yourself out there on the market, but say that you meet some people or there are even friends who had been in your life that you think now you might like to get to know better in that kind of companion capacity. But now that you're a widow, is it almost like sometimes you have to make the first move because they're going to hold back? They don't want to look like they're the one hitting on the widow. You know what I mean? Yes, I think that that could happen. And I see nothing wrong with 
going uh, initiating a conversation of a different quality. Um, some some dating coaches feel like you should always wait for the guy to make the first move. I personally yeah. do not agree with that. If you sense some kind of a connection, is that what you're describing? That yeah. there may be some interest? Yeah, or just interest on the part of the widow thinking, you know what? I would really like to spend more time with him, but I don't, you know, he is a little standoffish. Is it because, you know, if it's somebody that is like a friend of a friend or within your group of friends that you had always had, they're going to feel like they can't make the first move with you. So it almost becomes imperative for the widow to make the first move. One of one of my clients always accused me of repeating the same sentence over and over and over again, and that sentence is, "Be bold." Go ahead, Joanne. Be bold. Be so bold. I, if I if you were in a situation like that and you sort of sensed, I'd like to get to know this guy better on a different level. Yeah. You can always invite him out for a cup of coffee, a glass of wine, something for a walk around the block, anything to be able to initiate a conversation. Right. So the widow. It's really daunting to think about it because of the fear of rejection, and especially for older widows. Widows in our peer group, Barbara, we were used to being pursued and never having to pursue someone else. Exactly. Right? It was always the man that was supposed to make the first move. But now, the widow, you might find yourself in the situation where you're going to have to be able to clearly transmit that signal that you're interested. Otherwise, they feel they cannot make the first move with you because you're a widow. It would be unseemly for them, right? Possibly. And I always say in my training programs, I say everybody is always waiting for the other person to make the first move. And that's true even in social settings. You know how you meet somebody at an event and somebody says, oh, we should get together sometime. But then that never happens. And it's always if you don't initiate it, it won't happen. So I encourage people to take that little step. And be able to say, you know, I, I, I didn't, I like talking with you. Um, I'd like to get together again, or would you mind meeting me, whatever. And if they say no, well, big deal. You're no better off than you were before you made the ask. And, and getting over rejection is a big part of self-growth, being able to, you know, not let it immobilize you. Right, right. And that's all about being able to feel your feelings, which that's what I coach. <laughs> thoughts and feelings is what I coach and the ability to be able to just move through those. Um, exactly. It only hurts for a little teeny bit and you can train yourself to be able to say, okay, this wasn't, I can handle this. Right. This wasn't the end of the world. Right. So I got right. rejected. And, and, and when you enter the dating arena, you have to be able to develop that type of a mindset as well. You know, 90% of the people that you meet in the world are not going to become your life partner. They're just not right. going to be the right fit for you. And knowing that going in, um, then you you can take some pressure off yourself. And as I say to people, whenever they're out on a dating experience, just enjoy it. Consider it an interview situation. Don't right. don't ask right. you know harass yourself all night long. Does he like me? Am I doing the right thing? You know, have all that chatter going on. Right. Just say, okay, I'm going to enjoy the evening. You and whatever comes judge if it. you're going to like him too. Exactly. exactly. And this brings me to the next thing. Um, about the first relationships you have could be transitional relationships and you can just let them be the transitions they are 
So perhaps the first person that you really connect with and develop a, a closer companionship with, this may not be like the, the end all be all. It could be a transitional relationship that just lets you learn the possibility that you can open to that again. Yes, I, I consider it, I call it the playground. You know, you're on a playground for the first time. You're trying out the equipment and the difference, so to speak. <laughs> and so, um, yes, absolutely. Quite likely the first person you date after widowhood isn't going to be the person that you're going to end up with. Yeah. But but you must, you know, the first person that I got involved with after my husband died, um, was, it was a transformational experience for me. And it was sort of hard to let go of that because I, I wanted it to work. He fit in well with my little boy, and I thought, yeah, this is right. It didn't work in the end, and that was another painful experience. But I'm so thankful that that didn't work because that would have been a mismatch. There were red, maybe what you might call orange flags that were waving, and I ignored them all because I wanted it to work. Right. You wanted it to work instead of saying, okay, this this could just be a really great transition. It may not be the end-all, be-all for me. So maybe it's good to know ahead of time that, the first relationships could be just really short-lived and transitional, but you're learning something from each one. Absolutely. If you've got the maturity to be able to go there and you're thinking that is the yeah. very best place to go. I think I was young and, you know, although, as I said, no matter what age you are, when you're dating for the next, when you're dating, you feel like a 15 year old. And I, and I, my oldest client was 82. And when we were doing coaching, he said, why do I feel like I'm a 15 year old? I said, hello. I said, that's how everybody feels. Just get used to it. (laughs) I think so. I think so. And, you know, it's funny what you said about, you know, did they ever have, like, experience dating? A friend of mine recently, he is back on the market, and he's out there trying to date. And it was very funny because he wrote and said, you know, I'm, I'm testing. I'm trying to find my game again. But if you had asked that husband of yours, he would have told you I never had game to begin with. So. <laughs> exactly. And that's a wonderful conversation in itself when you are dating. Yeah. I think, I think that the more um, open you can be on a date, you can say, I mean, it's perfectly okay to say this feels weird to me or, you know, I, 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 I feel kind of weird going out with you. I don't really know the dating process that well or whatever. Right. Just being able to be vulnerable in that way, it doesn't make you look bad. It makes you look honest. Right, right. Because, you know, who of us really had game? I, you know, I've been <laughs> married since I was 21 years old, and I don't remember having serious game to go find guys before that. Exactly. You know, but exactly. at that age, you know, they just, they were there. <laughs> Right. Oh, of course. Of course. Then, sure. Um, There's also the thing to not to try to live by anybody else's rules, and I think we learned that early on as widows that it's our own process. We're ready when we think we're ready. We go about it the way that it's going to work for us. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And there are so many people who have not been widowed. They don't understand what we have gone through and what we are going through. And so advice comes cheap. And it's it's important to not get sucked into that. And you have to learn to trust your gut, trust yeah. your instincts. And if it's feeling right to you and it's, you know, then, then that's what you need to go by. Yeah. Yeah. Which I think is true. I had a very well-meaning friend 
just like maybe five, six months after Jim had passed away, saying to me, you are a gorgeous, vibrant woman, Joanne. You need to be back out there with someone. And it was like the, how, did that, how did that land with you? At first, it kind of set me back on my heels because I was not anywhere near that. But I, re- I could also see that she, where she was coming from. And she meant this like wholeheartedly, honestly, you know, she had no idea what it felt like to me after that short of time. And to her, it was like, you know what, you, you need somebody. <laughs> but well, I, and when people say that, you know, they want the best for you if they're a friend right. and they, and they can see that you are might be feeling, you might be feeling broken or, you know, something going on there and yeah. they can't really relate to it because they've never been widowed themselves. So they just want to fix it and make it better. Exactly. And, uh, and I think I was very gracious about it. And I thanked her. I thanked her for the compliment thinking that yeah. I was, you know, this gorgeous, vibrant woman who should be right back on the market. <laughs> but I told her truly, I, I was not ready for that yet. Um, of course. And, you know, that's kind of like not trying to live by anybody else's rules or becoming extremely upset with somebody who tries to say something like that to you so soon because they have your best interest at heart. And you, like you said, they will know when they're ready and you really want to wait until you're ready. I think that's really important. In my case, because I was young, I mean, I was 35 and I had a baby, literally an infant. People had a need greater than I did to make this all better. And uh, they would say things they thought were comforting to me. It wasn't. They would say, oh, you're young. You'll find somebody else. And that was not on my radar when I lost my husband. I was so bereft. Right. I did not want to think about replacing him. I wanted him back. Right. So I wasn't in that place, and I did not like hearing that. And and I'm sure you found this to be true, Joanne, as all widows. You, the people, so many people say so many things to you after you've lost your spouse, and all in the eyes of being comforting. But you will remember for the rest of your days the things you heard that did not sit, sit well with you. Oh, of course, of course. Yeah. But I was able to put some hindsight on it. And begin to understand, you know, when people see, like you said, when they see you in emotional pain, they just want to help. And they will say anything they think that is going to help, you know, he's in a better place now. Or exactly, you know, exactly. Right. I heard that very sentence that when I was, I was uh, right after my husband died within about a week, some older lady said to me, well, it was for the best. I thought, what? Who's best? (laughs) Not for my best. Right. I, I'll never, I can remember, this was 33 years ago. I remember where I was standing, and I remember the feeling I had to this day as if it just happened yesterday. Right. I, I never forgot that. I thought, why in the world would she say that? Obviously, happen. to bring me some comfort, brought it me zero happen. comfort. I know. I know. So early on, and to any new widows listening to this podcast, I mean, this is all, I'm sure, sounding what we're saying right now will resonate with you, but a lot of the idea of being able to want companionship is so foreign to you right now. And that's fine because, you know, you're just, you're going to go through your process as you go through your process. And eventually we all get to the point. Hopefully we get to this point. Now I'm not saying we all do. There are widows I've talked to who have been widows for years and years and they're still just shut down. 
they're very shut down. The first thing is you have to be able to give yourself permission to have a new life. With, you do. Without and indulging and, and, in guilt about it, without indulging in that self-pity, you just have to be able to make that choice to live a new life for yourself. Because, I mean, we know what life means now. Mm-hmm. And how quickly it can pass. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's, that's a really good point you make about making that choice. There is a, oftentimes with uh, people there is some guilt associated with that. They feel betrayal. I'm betraying my husband. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, that's a, that's a process that one needs to work through. Yeah. And sometimes I will, when I work with widows, I'll say, wouldn't your husband want you to be happy? And there's hesitation. Well, yes, but I'm not so sure he would want me to be with another man. I'm not sure that was what he wanted. And, uh, and of course, you can't go into rewind and, and ask him that question because he's not there anymore. So you have to learn to find peace around that. And, and that is a process. That's what I help my clients do. You do. You do. And you know that the most common wedding vows out there is till death do us part, mm-hmm. which means that you're not going to keep yourself locked up in a little box for the rest of your life after someone passes away. Yeah. That this is, you know, you're making this relationship to death. Mm -hmm. And when death divides you, this is, I think, part of what clicked for me. You know, I, I, that part of our vows came right back into my head after that two-year mark. And it was, Mm -hmm. oh, my gosh, this was till death do us part. It wasn't, you know, I'm his wife forever and ever, whether he's here or not. Yeah. Right. Well, that must have been liberating for you to make that. It uh, was. I know to some widows early on, that's going to sound terrible. Um, But don't think that there's not a part of me in my heart still that is Jim's wife. And, you know, that mad crazy in love that we were is still in my heart. But it just means that really my heart expanded. And it's like, I think. Before, I would have never thought there would be room in there for anyone else ever. And suddenly, I think, well, maybe there could be. Maybe I could have something that beautiful and magical again. Mm-hmm. Right? Well, no, no question in my mind that you could have that. <laughs> in a different shape, a different size, different packaging altogether. Yeah. And, and I mean, uh, how short is life to just put yourself on a shelf and not trust that magic again? Yeah. Yeah. It's a beautiful thing when you are in a relationship with somebody and there's that wonderful love that uh, connects you. There's nothing quite like it. Right. Right. So, gosh, all the fear about it, all the fear of rejection. If you connect with somebody, I mean, it doesn't have to be a new husband. It doesn't even have to be a new romantic relationship. But if you connect with somebody that even is just some companionship, that could be magical, right? Of course. Every relationship that's good is magical, I think. You yeah. know, every every relationship offers you something. Yeah. But I, I always, when people address the fear, and fear accompanies anything new. I mean, it, it's scary when you try anything new. You try a, try a new job. You try a new, you go into this new social setting where you don't know anybody. All that stuff can be really scary business. But, you know, you can develop a better mindset and you can do a little homework in advance of how you're going to uh, 
dodge the bullets as they come. And those bullets can be in the form of just a fearful thought. Right. And uh, it's all, it all can be learned and all can be mastered. And, uh, you know, it's like the, I always compare it to a rubber band. Once you take a rubber band and you stretch it, it's never the same shape that it originally was. And that's the same with us. We can it stretch is. ourselves in new kind of ways. So whenever I hear somebody, especially a widow or a widower who said, I'd really like to meet somebody, but it's so scary. I don't want to go down that road. Mm-hmm. Or if they're even thinking that, and a lot of times people won't give language to that. I've met a lot of widows, older widows, and they say, I, Betty White, I heard her say once in an interview, I mean, what is she, 95 years old? Yeah. They said, did you ever consider remarrying? And she said, when you've had the best, why look at the rest? And and that was her attitude, and she never remarried yeah. after Alan Ludden. Um, and some people do feel that way, but I do believe there's a fear factor going on as well. And if you I even think, so think there's fear, talk to somebody, learn to work around it. I Life wrote I wrote a post this morning about doing what's hard and difficult because it's only ever hard and difficult before you start on it. Exactly. Again, it's not. And I referred back to over a year ago when I launched this podcast and how terrified I was and how hard and impossible it seemed because I had to learn so many different things. When you create a podcast, it's a, you would be mind blown at how many different programs you have to learn. You have to learn how to sound edit. You have to get um, an artwork cover for iTunes. It seems so impossible. But once you start working on it and get involved with it, suddenly it's all done and you have a podcast. So it's like everything you want is just on the other side of hard and difficult. It's or right the other side of fear, really. Right on I, the other I, side of fear. Yeah. Exactly. And you have to, have to go there to find what it is you want. Exactly. Eleanor Roosevelt, quote, my favorite, do the thing you fear the most and the death of fear is certain. Yeah. Well, the death of that one little fear, but there's always more. Because oh, of course. My motto course. last year was, if you'll pardon the expression, to scare the hell out of myself every day. Huh? <laughs> and, I, and I did, and it was wonderful, you know? It was wonderful to push myself to the edges of things. Um, yeah. As a coach, Come as a businesswoman, as an entrepreneur, you know, I was just pushing it, pushing it, pushing it. So eventually you begin to learn that you can feel that fear and come out the other side of it with no problem. Yeah. And that's a process. That's a process. But yeah. good for you for setting that goal and achieving it. And yeah. when my clients are ready, <laughs> when they reach that place, I will be referring my clients who feel ready for this step and who I think are truly ready for this directly to Barbara because Barbara, can I share your email address with them? Absolutely. My website, let me put that out there is kenyancoaching.com K E N Y O N coaching.com. And uh, the email address that I use associated with that is Barbara at kenyancoaching.com. So if you or a widow or widower, and you think you're ready for this next step, you can reach out to Barbara. And if she thinks you're not there yet, she'll send you right back to me. 
(laughs) If you're not sure or you're struggling with all the other issues and emotions of widowhood, you know you can reach out to me, Joanne at JoanneTheLifeCoach.com or go right into my calendar to grab a free call with me. Go to TalkToJoanne.com and that takes you right into my scheduler. Between Barbara and I, I think there's a real solid team to get you through the first years of widowhood and move you ahead when you're ready to find another special someone. Barbara, thank yes, you it, so much I, for being on the may show. May I clarify now. one quick thing, Joanne? Sure. When I say people say, how ready do I need to be? Do I have to be 100% ready? And I would say, nope, let's go for 80%, the 80-20 rule of life. Nobody is ever 100% ready right. because there's too much True. fear associated with it. And I say, if you're ready enough, that's good enough for me. Right. And we'll, uh, we'll, yeah. we'll partner and see it through together. And I will hold your hand through the process. Perfect. And didn't we figure for widows, it's usually around 18 months to two years. After that point is when they usually are starting to be ready to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's not to say if somebody had been a caretaker for their husband for a very long time, that's not to say after 12 months, after they've gone through a calendar year, they just might be feeling I don't know. I, you know, I think I can do this. I think I want to do this. And no need to have some guilt associated. Like, if I serve my time long enough? Did I do this right? I hear people say that. Did I grieve right? And, yeah. Uh, there's, yeah. No, there's no really wrong way to do it. Perfect. Well, that's terrific. Well, thank you, Barbara, for being with us. To all my listeners out there, something to think about. Even if you're not there yet, know that you can be open to this and Get out there and find some joy in your day today. I'll talk to you all next week.